you've realized that you have to remain innovative across all aspects of your business. So that can be from your products to your marketing, to your merchandising, to even your, your post-purchase customer service being unique. And, and every point represents an opportunity to strengthen your brand moat, which then can extend the lifetime value of something short-lived to potentially somebody that can evangelize and stay with you longer term and become highly profitable as a customer. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. One thing that I've noticed about the marketing profession is that a lot of the people who work in marketing often have many interests. They're not just analytical, they're not just creative, and they're not just business-minded. They're flexible and constantly evolving. And for good reasons. The tools we use will continue to change and market opportunities will suddenly appear out of thin air. We need to be purposeful with the actions we take to capture these moments in time. What I've also noticed is that this curiosity also allows marketers to pursue really interesting opportunities and work on very cool products. My guest today demonstrates both these characteristics over his eclectic, but also young career. He's had the opportunity to have significant input on not one, not two, but three products that have reached the household name status. Those being Call of Duty, Lyft, and MeUndies. He's now head of marketing and brand strategy at the electric vehicle subscription company, Canoe. Joining me live today is Matt Kerbel. Thanks for jumping on, Matt. So good to be here. Good to see you, Stuart. So those three names, and you've you've worked for other companies in the past as well, they've reached household name status. And that's pretty significant because there's thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of products and services that are launched every year. Some of them never make it off the ground. And so I think it's really cool to have that early on experience that you can now take for the rest of your career. And so I was just wondering uh, if we could maybe hear a little of your key takeaways from, from each of those opportunities and how you're now bringing that to your, to your new role. Oh, wow. Such a good question. Right out of the gates, man. Might as well start with the big ones, right? Let's get into it. Great. So, you know, I was privileged to work on Call of Duty early on in my career. And jumping into entertainment in LA in and of itself is, is amazing. But what I learned from being um, in the gaming industry, and particularly on Call of Duty, is a couple things. One is it really takes a global village to make these blockbusters year after year. You know, working with um, your first party partners, your studios, your international counterparts, retailers, uh, partners like PepsiCo that we had at the time. It's just an insane act of coordination and holding hands um, that happens over a significant period of time because those games are being made over two, sometimes three years, right? So um, from strategy all the way to global execution, it's really, really fun. And it was an incredible exercise in teamwork that I've, I've always taken with me. I think what it also taught me was the bond, the true bond between marketing and operations that has been critical everywhere that I've gone. The other thing that I would say is in gaming, you learn how to make sure that you're trying to stay three steps ahead of the competition all the time, right? So as an example, when I was working on Advanced Warfare, that was a year where the year before was when 
Grand Theft Auto came out with uh, their games, which they only come out with every five years. They suck a billion dollars out of the industry right away. And so knowing that they're going to be a big game, you have to start thinking about, okay, what are ways that we can differentiate both short-term and long-term? And in fact, some of the conversation that happened around esports and free-to-play that are absolutely mainstays today, Call of Duty now has 60 million players on the free-to-play model they launched only a few weeks ago, actually started about 10 years ago. So uh, gaming was an incredible learning experience, and I've taken a lot from thinking about innovation and thinking about teamwork. Lyft, you mentioned, was my first foray going from a huge sort of household entity to what was actually an early stage startup at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it was truly a challenger brand. I look back and I think about, wow, that's when I really learned how to be resourceful and how to take on Goliath by being a savvy David, right? So we were up against Uber. I was overseeing Southern California from a marketing standpoint, most notably LA. And we didn't want to get into a money fight with Uber because they would have beat us, right? You can just promo to the bottom all you want. And so we started to think about, okay, well, what are a couple ways that we can you know, win the hearts and minds of our community here without spending a ton of money? So the first was actually looking at where Uber was targeting, which was in sort of the places you would expect in the city, West Hollywood, Hollywood, Santa Monica, et cetera. And we said, you know what? We're going to attack the suburbs, right? We're going to surround them. We're going to, to go old school, right? And, and, and we did that and we made sure that, that those areas of, of the, the city felt really connected to Lyft. And then over time, as we were able to ramp up our funding and get more funds allocated to our region from HQ, then we started to invade on their turf a little bit. The other thing that I made my team think about was, you know, when we're going to talk to partners from around the city, how can we think about being a plumber that can help with their logistics problems versus a paying sponsor? So you go to the Hollywood Bowl anytime these days, you'll see that it's pretty pink. And the reason is because of initial conversations that we had with them where we said, look, if you come to the Hollywood Bowl on a Saturday night, when the pandemic didn't exist, right? You would go and you'd see a show for two hours and you may be sitting in the parking lot afterwards for an hour and a half because you have Ubers and Lyfts that are coming from Hollywood. You have stacked parking, you had all these issues. And so we said, you know what? We have a good, we have our finger on the sense of what's going on around Hollywood on a Saturday night. Let us help you not only with telling our our drivers where they should go and, and how we can set that up to be, uh, more of a seamless experience for people that are leaving the show. But how can we also help you reallocate your parking lots such that everything from an ingress and egress standpoint works seamlessly? And we said, in return, all we want to be able is to be recognized by your your partner, right? Your ride-sharing partner of choice. And so we shifted the mindset from, oh, let's just throw money at a problem, right? Especially when we're up against somebody else that has more money. And we started to think about ourselves as how can we solve problems for different people around the city? And that's when we started to open up public and private partnerships. For example, with Metrolink, we ultimately became the rideshare company of USC. So um, it seeded a lot of behaviors that I think kept with Lyft after they started to, to ramp up and, and grow over time. And then you talked about MeUndies. So MeUndies was really fun. D2C e-com companies are predicated on the notion of taking something that is existing and either popular or commoditized and doing two things. One making it better in some way, and two, making the experience more convenient and enjoyable for the consumer. And you start to realize 
when you're playing in somewhat of a commoditized market that's increasingly competitive, how important it is to really, really know who your target consumers are because you need to stay relevant and build that brand moat, right? And that becomes your impenetrable shield. So to give an example, um, I remember one time we posted this really, really wonderful connected gay couple that it was just a beautiful photo. And we felt like what could be more in line with with our purpose, our values to to celebrate your truth, right? And 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 be self-expressive and be proud of who you are. And we had one person that made an extremely disappointing and disapproving comment on Instagram. And it felt like our community then gang tackled that person, seeing the comments and seeing your community start to come to your aid. And so, you know, having that that moat becomes critically important. And from there you realize that you have to remain innovative across all aspects of your business. So that can be from your products to your marketing to your merchandising to even your your post-purchase customer service being unique. And and every point represents an opportunity to strengthen your brand moat, which then can extend the lifetime value of something short-lived to potentially somebody that can evangelize and stay with you longer term and become highly profitable as a customer. So for me, you know, it was teamwork, it was thinking about innovation, it was thinking about how to be resourceful, how to cultivate community, all those things can absolutely help you. And, you know, I'm I'm happy that I've had a diversity of experiences because it's made me a more well-rounded marketer and I think a, a more well-rounded business leader. And I'm sure we're gonna hear about those those themes reemerge when we start talking about canoe because two words that you said there that are I know are gonna come back up is a challenger brand and a commodity. So those yep. are two very interesting kind of subcategories. We'll, but we'll get we'll get there eventually. I just got a few awesome. more questions about kind of your your background because it's 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 unique and interesting. How have you allowed yourself to make these decisions on moving to your next opportunity? Because you've you've gone from entertainment, commodities, direct to consumer, tech startups. How do you assess the next opportunity and what do you what were you looking for when you chose Canoe? Yeah, I, I didn't write this play this way, right? And I, I couldn't have told you that it was going to be. I'd be lying if it was completely in, intentional, right? But what I will say is that when I was younger, my dad gave me some advice, and he said, you know, when you get there, try a few things early in your career because, like a relationship, you'll get to figure out what you like, what you don't like. You can diversify your experience, and you can meet amazing people along the way to figure out your place, right? And for me, that advice has stuck and been extremely poignant and helpful because it has gotten me to work for companies of different sizes and maturities and subject matters and cultures. And you know, it also doesn't hurt that I've always been somebody that's been highly inquisitive. I love to learn. I've always been fascinated by psychology and sociology and different business models. So it has made sense that I've wanted to dabble in a few things. I think what I've realized is in making these decisions, ultimately, the theme for me is I want to work for companies that have, I think, something to prove and also work for companies that are looking to make a transformational difference in somebody's lives, whether very obvious or like MeUndies, a little bit more subtle where, yeah, sure, you're selling a product, but it's really about confidence. It's really about authenticity and celebrating people who are of different backgrounds. And then from there, it comes down to people and culture. You know, I. I I've always thought that the people of a company are truly the ones that can make a company and a brand thrive or nosedive. So for me, it's 
It's been early on, I think, intentional, hoping that I could diversify my experiences. It's also just been an incredible opportunity to find things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, whether it's video games or whether it's this, this challenge of automotive, which is sort of once in a lifetime, these types of things that come up, I'm really excited by. If you were to still have all that knowledge over the last bunch of years, but your, your name brand was completely wiped and you had to pick a new direction to go, what opportunities would you be excited to see and pursue over the next couple of years that if you're early in your career would, would really want to get on board? Well, given the current situation, I think that you have to think about where we are today and you have to look forward, right? And you have to start thinking about where are things going to go as a function of the pandemic. So I'm using this time because this time is real. It's happening right now. And this is what people are faced with, whether they've um, recently lost their jobs or whether they're just coming out and graduating and trying to figure out what they want to do. I would think about what are the ramifications on consumer behavior, right? How will this change uh, how will this change things and, and where will the true value come from? That could be a company that's really well positioned today. That could also be a startup that rises out of this crisis, similar to the Slacks and Ubers, et cetera, of 2008. And the other thing that I would think about is something that's a little bit more universal and tried and true, which is what are the types of people and culture that you want to work with and that you're attracted to? I always say, and it's very cliche, but pretty much live two thirds of your life at work and in bed. So you should have a really good bed and you should work <laughs> with people that you're excited to go and work with every day and on challenges that uh, make you get out of bed in the morning. So rather than picking a specific thing, I think it's up to each person to take a look at the landscape and make a prediction on where they think things are going to go based on their own inclinations as well as data. And then ultimately from what you know about either known companies or the type of company that you want to be at, whether early stage or later in the game, get to know some of those people. And there's never been a better time that I can remember in my entire life where people are exceptionally open to connecting, helping, giving their advice, giving their thoughts, right? No matter high up they are on the totem pole, so to speak, and how low down somebody else is, I've seen people connect of completely different generations, different industries, et cetera. They all have something to share and they all have some degree of wanting to pay it forward because at some point somebody did something for them. So using the internet and connecting with people in ways and taking chances to do that is really, really important to me. I'm always looking to help people, but I really think that there are so many people that are in that boat right now. And I would just encourage people to reach out to figure that out. I like that career advice because if you follow the first one, which is buy a really good bed, that means you need to find an even better career that That's right. will get you out of that really good bed. You don't want to have a restless sleep in a really good bed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Canoe because it's, it's pre-launch still, correct? Yep. Maybe you can describe a little bit about what Canoe is all about and what yeah. is the, the market opportunity that the Canoe sees and is going after. Sure. So... You know, Canoe, essentially the mission of Canoe is, is that we want to help people, especially those living in cities, to live greener, less stressful lives. And we know that there's a growing desire by people to go electric, but most of what's on the road is either not necessarily that affordable or not that appealing. And so, you know, we have some incredible people that founded the company that come from these remarkable automotive backgrounds. And they said, you know, let's relook at everything from the vehicle to the business model to the customer experience 
and try to offer something that's appealing to these people. And ultimately, you know, what has transpired is an LA-based startup where we're creating our own brand of electric vehicles for membership only based on what you denoted a subscription model. We designed a car that was made for this you know, next phase of transportation, which is going to become increasingly electric, increasingly autonomous, and increasingly connected. And so we believe that we're challenging the traditional automotive approach in three ways. The first is a business model that's focused on reducing production and infrastructure costs to make EVs more affordable to customers. The second is a very bold forward-thinking design that capitalizes on the space that EV technology affords because you have the, the battery and the drivetrain in the actual base of the car. For anybody that hasn't seen it, that's listening, I like to say it's sort of like a microbus and a limo had a futuristic baby. It resembles nothing like you've seen on the road, and it actually is only the length of a Prius, but has the interior capacity of a large SUV. So it's very much made for city life as an EV that has space and unique features and comfort. And then the third is a subscription model that we talked about where it's a membership model that puts an end to ownership. So membership will be month to month where it's sort of like Netflix. You can pause or cancel at any time. We're also going to be direct to consumer, meaning that we won't have something like dealerships. So the whole ecosystem is to have a car that has utility and space and value, all things that we know people have always wanted, that looks the part of something that you'd want to drive, but is also affordable and has a very, very seamless customer experience from beginning to end. It does maybe sound too good to be true, but we're working to make it a reality every single day. And and yeah, like you said, if you if you go online, it's spelt C A N O O. Uh, you'll see it's like a it's a completely unique design for what a vehicle could look like. You you wouldn't right. have seen anything on the road, and especially the interior, which I think is kind of the coolest part. Is and yeah. you, you keep repeating the word city, like you've you've chosen a very unique specific category of the market to go after. You're not just introducing another vehicle into a commodity market, you're introducing right. a brand new experience with unique features to go along with it. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the chief design officer came from BMW. He helped to lead the design on the i3. Uh, fantastic design team that we have that have created something that is more about function than anything. And to your point, the, the furniture, or the, I should say the seating looks more like sort of mid-century modern furniture. We actually don't have a big screen, whereas burgeoning big screens are becoming increasingly the norm. We actually strip the screen out and we have a sort of bring your own device philosophy where you know you actually bring in your smartphone, your smart device. And Stuart, if we were sort of sharing one of these memberships, one of our vehicles, and I was a Pandora and Google Maps guy, and you were a Spotify and Waze guy, then you bring in your device and the car adapts to that, right? Mm. And so it becomes this very seamless experience. We're able to have a lot of things curated for you in the app. So it becomes a very clean dashboard. You have this spacious interior where there's actually room for seven. And to your point, yeah, it looks nothing like anything on the road. So it's it's pretty eye-catching and is going to be pretty fun for people to drive. I want to get a little tactical because you're introducing a challenger brand into uh, who 
if I, if I'm allowed to ask, who would you consider your competition in this? Is it just every other car or specifically EVs? You know, it is a little bit of both. A lot of people think to compare any EV to Tesla, right? For example, because Tesla has the lion's share of the market share, but we don't look anything like Tesla and our business model will be completely different. And really we see it as, you know, people that are looking for a mobility solution or a transportation solution in which this works for them because it is month to month. It can absolutely be your 24 seven car for years and years. We hope that it is certainly, and, and we believe that it will be for many people, but you know, you can be somebody that maybe has been driving a combustion uh, vehicle for a long time and you've wanted to get into EVs. We certainly through research have identified a very you know, large amount of people that don't yet drive electric, but very much desire to drive electric. Mm-hmm. We certainly have people that do drive electric that may look at this as a trade up or potentially a trade away from a situation where they're locked into a contract to one where they're not. That may work better for them because perhaps they're going to be out of the country for a few months. And rather than having car payments, they would rather just put their membership on pause. So yeah. it opens up so many doors. There. Yeah. yeah, it opens up so many doors and opportunities. And when you look at the next generation of consumers, they're already involved with relationships like this, right? Subscription is is a thing in, in absolutely everything pervasive in our lives. But more and more, you know, people are looking to rent, not buy. People are looking to get into relationships that are flexible, that allow them to be in charge and not necessarily the company. And that's what you're seeing brands do too. Brands don't belong to the company anymore. They truly belong to people. And the ones that realize that ultimately are the ones that come out on top. And so rather than that just being a communications mechanism, we think that it should be embedded in how the company is run. And I think there are a lot of companies these days that are starting to gain a lot of traction if they haven't already, because they share that similar mindset. One of the characteristics of subscription, though, is that you need to really have your customer acquisition and retention locked in or else you're going to have crazy churn and that's a nosedive situation for sure. So how, well, I'll I'll preface the conversation, the the question by, by explaining that the reason why I was really excited to talk to Matt in the first place was I received a email uh, campaign a bunch of months ago from Canoe and it was their kind of early sign up launch because Canoe is not yet available in the market, but this email campaign and i've seen a few kind of like launch campaigns this one had probably more layers and and hooks and and just really cool parts of it that i'd ever seen before all working so well together that it was it was a, it was actually i wanted to tell you more about myself and fill out more uh, survey questions because it was that well done so yeah, and that's really important when it comes to uh, direct consumer brands. Is you need to know exactly who you're targeting, and you need to know as much as you can about them because you can and have the ability to speak directly to them through any number of channels. Do you mind telling right. me a little bit about that email campaign, and 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 then we can kind of go from there and see if we can talk about like behind the scenes what it, what it was like to build that. Yeah, of course. So what Stuart is referring to is our take on a standard waitlist, which we call the first wave. And typically waitlists cause you to put down some amount of money to wait some amount of time in automotive for whatever car it is. And 
there's not necessarily a lot of back and forth during that time period. Uh, maybe you're interacting with them through social media, which is is great. But we felt like there was an opportunity to take uh, take it one step further. And what we wanted to do is based on the the essence of the company is we wanted to make it something that was open for all, commitment free, free to join, to democratize that experience. But also, we wanted to figure out a way to keep people engaged and help them feel like there's co-creation in the process because we are a ways away from launch. And so we created a waitlist that I mentioned we call the first wave. And basically, at this point, you can actually move up the waitlist once you've signed on for free. You can move up the list by taking surveys, which will move you up, or by referring friends. On the referral side, we also have an element called Wave Rewards where as you hit referral milestones, 5, 10, 20 people, et cetera, we send you cool gear. We send you cool stuff. So it's a double-sided gamification whereby you know, on a, a survey standpoint, you're able to opt in and give us uh, information, thoughts, et cetera, things that we're asking about, whether it's you know, things as generic as what are your hobbies so we can get to know you better, all the way down to you know, thoughts around subscription and electric vehicles and things that are obviously going to be valuable to us as we think about optimizing our offering to make it the best possible for our early adopters and ultimately the community at large. And then on the referral front, of course, that makes sense because we want to try to, you know, grow this community as organically as possible. And we know that a referral is going to be, you know, a conversation that people have where somebody is in, is endorsing us to somebody else. And there's going to be hopefully better retention on the back end. And hopefully that person then decides to start referring. The ideas for these came a little bit from uh, Robinhood on one side and the hustle on the other. We kind of thought maybe we can figure out a way to Frankenstein this. And we did. I will say that when we launched it, there was probably a little bit of a sleepless night hoping that people would pick up what we were putting down. But we had revealed in September a car that looks nothing like anything on the road today. And people picked up what we were putting down then. So it gave us a little bit more confidence that maybe we can be building something that's predicated on this notion of being, what I like to say, intentionally different. And that people will actually vibe with that because it is maybe more relevant or it is maybe more fun or it is maybe refreshing and, and hopefully all those things. Yeah, it was really cool. You you went for the double-edged sword, as you described it, like the referral side. But if you don't necessarily want to invite your friends, you can still move up the wait list by providing insights so that Canoe can serve you better. And what I found really right. unique about it was the questions weren't just about... It wasn't just collecting data that is relevant to Canoe's product offering. Like right. you were saying, you weren't just asking about like how do you feel about subscription. You weren't just asking about how do you feel about electric vehicles. You were trying to get to know your first wave participants to their core about like what makes them an interesting or interested person in this right. product. And then because you're giving them points, you now have a list. You've got a massive referral or a massive wait list, but you've yeah. also can see the data and those who actively tried to move up the list because they really want to be a first subscriber to Canoe. And so right. now you've got like a very cut and dry version of, okay, yes, they're all early adopters, but here are the earliest of the early adopters who hustled right. to try and get to the top. That's right. And 
you know, it's very hard to forecast something that sort of never existed, right? And so how you do that is you really have to take a measure of these waitlisters that you ultimately get and, and how active they are. Of course, you want to look at do they live in the cities that we're going to be launching in and, you know, other sort of more remedial and typical metrics. But you do want to take some stock in the fact that they're continuing to engage with emails, continuing to take surveys, continuing to refer people. And then what this also does, which I think is the most fun part, and we'll, we'll maintain some surprises as we go, for example, the configurator that we launched last week, is the, the longer you stay on this thing, the more fun and surprises we're going to have along the way. And we think that weightless experiences don't necessarily need to be boring. The person that I go to sleep with every night, my wonderful wife works at Disney, and they've done an excellent job in their theme parks of making sure that waiting in lines can actually be really, really fun too. And I'm not going to compare what we're doing to Disneyland by any stretch, but what I will say is that there is something there and something to be said about you know having a really fun, for example, customer service experience. So you know at Meundies, our customer experience team is called the Cheek Squad, right? Which is <laughs> which is which is fun, right? And and the people that we have on that team are wonderful and gregarious and kind and patient, and that's so anti what you expect from customer service. Well, we said, what about the front end? Mm -hmm. Like, what is that front end experience? And I've never been part of an opportunity where the brand hasn't really existed, or at least nobody knew about it yet. I've always been with brands where it it was an opportunity to take what had already been molded and continue to mold it further and evolve it and, and hopefully make it increasingly relevant and, and important in people's lives. This was an opportunity to say, let's establish this bedrock, this foundation, our DNA, how we show up in the world, and make sure that that extends from you know this this early part all the way through to when you're actually a member and even beyond in terms of post purchase. So we're thinking about all of that, but right now the most important thing is that we cultivate this grassroots community. Which, Stu, to your point, we want them to be involved. We want mm-hmm. them to feel in. We want them to feel like opening one of our emails, they may find something that's fun or relevant or interesting or, or whatever, right? So we're, we're always thinking about them. And, and that's a really important piece of the brand is, is trying to think about people first and trying to be as relevant as possible as, as a modern day automotive startup. It also allows you to know exactly who you are going after and almost more importantly, who you're not going after. Because you can burn through an infinite amount of cash trying to to yell at the wrong people. They'll never buy it. That's right. That's that is incredibly well said. And something that has always been really important to me. And when we were trying to identify who we believe our target consumers are, we try to achieve two things as we're doing research. One is um not just who is this like big group of people that we could get. But who can we zero in on that may be a small segment of the population or small amount of people relatively that are going to have that that I'm so in, you don't even have to tell me much mindset, right? They're going to be the ones that that cause this sonic boom that then you get this ripple effect to other people that is super contagious. And the brand doesn't have to, to go much further 
as a result of that, you know, we we want to minimize our spend, make it as, as efficient as possible. And so we need those people. And to find them, we have to know who they are. We have to know, you know, how they tick. And to your point, that's that's a lot of why the surveys really work for us. And then secondly, equally as much, we have to know that there are people out there that are going to be combustion engine hardcore traditionalists. And maybe they love, love, love cars. So we may think, let's go after people that love cars, but they may never want an EV or they may look at us and say, that thing's a toaster, right? And and some people think it's such a great looking, interesting car and some people don't. And, and, and certainly most great cars are polarizing to some extent. And so that helped us realize we were onto something. But you really need to know about those people just as much so that you don't waste time, energy, and of course, resources on them. So um, very well said. And, and I think we have a pretty good handle on you know who are going to be the early adopters, who are going to be the sort of fast follow late adopters, who we may get down the line as electric vehicle infrastructure becomes more prevalent in our lives and, and EVs in general become more prevalent in our lives. And then who is, you know, just always going to have a muscle car and never want to drive one of our vehicles and maybe never say never, but certainly it doesn't make any sense for us to target them today. Very cool. Kind of just rolling back a little bit as we come to a close here, going back to the email, the first wave, can you tell me about a specific uh, decision that you and the team needed to make? And maybe you can give me two decisions you needed to make. One decision that you that ended up working really well and you're happy with and you've kind of added it to your playbook but then one that you you've learned from because there's no such thing as as a bad decision it just has new insight that you can use further on for sure it's a great question i think one thing that i i honestly we debated and and didn't know if it would work well i'll give you a couple things the first which is which is easier and i always fought for it was to make it free we just felt like it was really important to not ask them to put down money at, at this point. And we felt like it was in the DNA of the company to to make it open for all, right? And and over time, as we unveil more about the offering, then you know, people can sort of self-select in or out. But at this point, we wanted to create and cultivate a community just based off of a, a mindset, an idea, a product, etc. And the the other thing that I didn't know would work as well, but has worked tremendously well are the surveys. That was an idea that came late in the game. And it was it was because on one hand, yes, we wanted to get to know our community more and and hopefully allow them to feel like they can co-create a little bit. On the other hand, it was because uh, a couple people gave me insight that they didn't feel like they would want to refer. They just feel like that's a lot of effort perhaps for them, or they didn't have the popularity that other people would have. And so who would they refer to, et cetera. And I felt like, well, this could be a better mechanism to just get them to be participating and engaged. Did not think that we would get the, you know, tens of thousands of responses that we've gotten from a survey standpoint. Um, It's been really, really amazing. And the fact is, is, you know, we are, we are, asking people to opt in. Nobody has to take any surveys. It's it's really more about how much do they want to be involved with our brand. And, and we deeply appreciate it. And we almost didn't do it. So that's one. I think learned from, ironically, 
because we tend to keep so many other things simple was really to keep it simple and to sort of like write with your eraser. You know, as we were testing it and talking to people about it pre-launch, you know, we we were constantly refining copy. We were constantly sort of refining the offering and, and the user experience and the flow until we got it, you know, relatively close to where it is today. And I think that if if we were to launch it in sort of its its infant state, it just may not have caught on the way that it did. So from a from a UX standpoint, I would say we really realized that simplicity is such the key. And that was a really important early learning that I think helped us in the long run. So it all kind of came together. And certainly there's a degree of luck, but but I think we we had a sense that knowing our consumer, this is something that they would probably vibe with. Yeah. No. And 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 it also allowed insight into the design too. Like design is a big right. element of the the look, but also of the copy you use and the web and the web presence. It yep. all blends together and makes a very uniform kind of brand personality that you're going for. Right. And it and it it's another signal too that you can allow for those early adopters to say like do I even like the look of this? That's right. And even last week we actually updated the the first wave status page. So we we're relentless. Like we, <laughs> we 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 won't we won't just sit still. We want to continue to optimize that experience because we know how important it is, and we really want people to be able to find what they're looking for seamlessly. And we literally have little updates that you probably don't notice on a weekly basis, even though we have a pretty small team. It's it's just right now one of the most important things that we're going to work on is making sure that those people on the wait list don't just stay there, but are excited to be there and are excited to, you know, join hopefully at the end of the rainbow when we get this thing on the road. Yeah. Right on. Last question. And then that's, I think that's a really good place to stop is uh, what does the next year look like for canoe? Uh, What, when is the, when are we going to start seeing these on the road and what are your key activities that you are working on up leading up to that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as you can expect, like a lot of brands um, out there right now, it's it's been really focused on on content right now and and transparency and communicating with our community and giving them what they need, whether that's updates on the beta testing on our, of our vehicle, whether that's you know how we're taking action to fight the pandemic as a small engine that can, and you know in in some instances it's trying to give them help, helpful information or distraction so that they can get through these times. Obviously, as we look further out, the pandemic has had a little bit of effect on our timing. So um, we're now looking to launch very early in 22. So we're about 18 to 20 months away from that. And for now, we're making sure that we're we're using this time to do a lot of really important planning, get things right. We're working hard to make sure that the ecosystem is going to work seamlessly for people. So that way, when we launch, it's it's you know everything that it needs to be and more. And and obviously when everything comes around and we enter this sort of new normal, so to speak, we want to get back out there and we want to let more people know about Canoe in a variety of ways, which will be fun. That'll be part of the fun. But for now, we want to make sure that we're using this time to really have a a very detailed and informed plan, which we do. And we're really excited to, to, you know, start to spend more time with our community again. We're excited to start to evolve continue to evolve our brand to be more of, of what we want it to be and what we think it can be. 
and show how relevant it is and how this is the right time for canoe in general and in your lives. So there's just a lot of that. There's a lot of planning and there's a lot of excitement and we're, we're ready to execute when the world opens up a bit. But in the meantime, you'll continue to hear from us. We'll continue to put out things that, that, that make sense and we'll continue to make every weightlifter's experience, every wave maker, as we call them, experience nice. uh, as, as great as possible. So I'd encourage you, if you're listening, to join the first wave. It is free to join. It is commitment-free. Come and go anytime that you please. And hopefully we can show you a little bit of fun and you can get to know and learn a little bit more about canoe and maybe one day membership will be for you. Perfect. Yeah. You can, you can take a look at for that uh, first wave sign up at canoe.com. That's C A N O O.com. And if nothing else, just go look at how cool this car looks like it's, it's, <laughs> it's something totally unique. And uh, the aesthetic that you guys have put together is really also just like, we didn't even really talk about brand a whole lot because there's yep. so much, so much other cool stuff that you guys are working on. So I really appreciate it, Matt. This has been awesome. And I look forward to seeing them on the road. Always good to see you. Always good to talk to a fellow Torontonian, fellow Canadian. (laughs) If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.